In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you for pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Let us, in this time of prayer, the first part of our three-part audio retreat, go hand in hand with Mary and allow her to accompany us through this season of Lent and in particular to prepare us for the events of Holy Week, the Passion, the Death and Resurrection of her Son, Jesus Christ. We can have no better guide than Mary. We see how St. John says that she stood by the cross. In the Latin, he the verb that is used is stabat, so stabat mater, juxta crucem. The mother stood by the cross. Now, that stabat is very deliberate because St. John wants to emphasize the fact that Mary stood by Jesus' cross very firmly with great determination. It wasn't just that she was there, but she was standing, determined by the cross of Jesus during his terrible torment. And this is what Our Lady teaches us. She taught St. John. We always have the impression that St. John, the youngest of the apostles, and perhaps the one that you would have thought would be the first to disappear, was in fact the one that stood by the cross. But we always have the impression that St. John stood by the cross of Jesus because Our Lady brought him. Our Lady and somehow is able to encourage him in a special way. So that he's almost like an extension of Our Lady's standing by the cross. And so what we want to do in this time of prayer, but also in this Lent, in the upcoming Holy Week, and in truth, throughout our whole lives, we also want to be like St. John, standing by the cross of Jesus, brought there by Our Lady. The... the executioners abandon Jesus, everybody abandons Jesus at the cross, but Our Lady does not abandon him. Rather the opposite, we see that she draws nearer to the cross to be very close by him during his last hours on the cross. Our Lady said to St. Bridget in, in those revelations that St. Bridget received, she said, I did not leave him and stood nearer to his cross. In one sense, we could say that perhaps this was easy for Mary, given her great love. We couldn't imagine her doing anything else. We certainly couldn't imagine Our Lady not being there or fleeing from the cross. But at the same time, of course, it absolutely broke the heart of the mother of Jesus. This was prophesied, remember, by Simeon in the temple when Jesus was only an infant and he was being presented in the temple. And Simeon, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul. Maybe there were many things 
that pierced Our Lady's soul. But this, of course, is the culminating moment of that prophecy. This is the moment when the sword of sorrow pierces Our Lady's soul in a way that we can never fathom. I think we're dealing with something that is more or less beyond our our ken, our ability to understand. But let's try in, in this time of prayer to appreci- appreciate it in some way. And we ask Our Lady precisely to help us, not just to understand, but also to imitate. Because we want to come away from this time of prayer being more like Our Lady, especially during this Lent, allowing her to encourage her, us to stand firmly by the cross of Jesus. St. Bernard says that love inflicted on the heart of Mary the same suffering that the nails caused in the body of Jesus. Therefore, at the same time that the son was sacrificing his body, the mother, St. Bernard says, was sacrificing her soul. Mary's son died in body through a greater love than anyone has known. She died in spirit through a love unlike any other since. It's again St. Bernard. Again, a great mystery for us. You, Jesus, giving yourself completely and dying and a real death and a, and a very painful death on the cross for us out of love, motivated in every moment by this love greater than anything that the world has ever seen. But then there's Our Lady's love. And, and the world has never seen anything like that since that act of, of compassion of Mary. And St. Bernard saying that in some way Our Lady died, died spiritually by, by the cross of Jesus. And some people do say in, she's a martyr in, in that way. Martyrs have all died for, for love of Christ. They've given up their lives. When well, in some way Our Lady died at the foot of the cross. We could call her in some way a martyr. So there she is, Mary, you standing firmly, as St. John says, standing firmly by the cross of Jesus. Stabat mater, juxta crucem. When others are, are, are fleeing, others who are good people also, like the apostles, of course, even they, St. Peter, who declared his love so brashly the day before, but he's nowhere to be seen. And the others, all oh, the apostles bar the youngest, St. John. Now, I'm sure that we could think that Mary had no doubt that her presence there during the the way of the cross, because we see her there at the way of the cross as as Jesus is led along to his crucifixion. Our Lady is there. And we could imagine that she must have known that her presence was a real comfort to her son, that it was really worth it, even though humanly perhaps Our Lady just did not at all want to see what she was going to see. Any mother would be like that. You know, and many a good mother would say, I I couldn't, I just can't. I can't bring myself to see this. And not out of anything but a tremendous love. And there must have been that in Our Lady also. But she overcomes that because she knows it's really so important for Jesus. That she is there. That she is showing her compassion. And that word is very, it's a very deliberate word because we know that it means co-passion. It's suffering with. Passion is suffering. And 
compassion is suffering alongside somebody. When somebody has compassion on you, they, they might say something like, I feel your pain. And that is, in some sense, of course, they don't feel it physically, but they feel it kind of morally or spiritually. They feel our pain. And they might even wince. You explain, you explain your pain to them and they even wince, you know, they can feel it. And that is very comforting to us. We all have that experience. When somebody genuinely, you know, I feel your pain. Though often people say that line and you don't really think they feel it very much. But other times you get the impression people have genuine, tremendous compassion on our sufferings. And it is, it is a great support for us. You know, a, a, a pain shared is a, is a pain halved, they say. And so I think that's the case here in a very special way, in a, in, a, in a way that's, again, too deep for us to really appreciate except on the surface. But that in some way, Our Lady's compassion was a great consolation to Jesus. And St. Josemaria says this, he says, In the dark loneliness of the Passion, Our Lady offers her son a comforting balm of tenderness, of union, of faithfulness, a yes to the divine will. A comforting balm. A balm is this soothing oil or a cream that you might put on a wound and it comforts it and it takes the sting away and it begins to heal that wound. Well, St. Rosemary says that, that this is what Our Lady gives to Jesus during the Passion, with the dark loneliness, and that loneliness when so many that had abandoned Jesus, nearly everybody had abandoned Jesus, and that is very painful. Jesus is a person, as we, we see throughout the Gospel, who really appreciates friendship, the value of friendship. And so for, for Jesus, it's particularly painful to be abandoned by his friends, that they are not loyal to their friendship. At this moment, they, they disappear, petrified of what might happen to them if they're, if they're seen to be too close to Jesus. And then, countering all that, we have Our Lady offering this comforting balm, like a, a lotion, this cream, this soothing ointment of her compassion. Now, we might think that our presence makes no difference to Jesus. Thinking of something like at Mass or in prayer or before the tabernacle in a church where maybe it's empty, there's nobody else there. And we, we, we could visit, we could spend time with Jesus. And we might do that. But if somebody were to say to you, no, this actually makes a difference to Jesus. This is very comforting to Jesus. We might say, well, that's only poetry. That's not real. Uh, because he is God and, and it doesn't really make any difference to Jesus whether I am there or not. Well, we look at the, the events of the night of Holy Thursday, the morning of Good Friday, the agony in the garden. We see that perhaps we have it wrong. Perhaps, again, in ways that we don't fully understand because anything, really, anything to do with Jesus is going to have a mysterious element because he is God, God and man. And so everything will be to some degree mysterious. But when we look at Jesus and his actions in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they're there, and Jesus, the very first thing he does when they arrive there is that he says to his apostles, sit here 
while I go over there to pray. So he says that to all the apostles. Judas is no longer there, of course, except for Peter and James and John, whom he takes with him further into the garden. So, so he leaves the, the rest of the apostles at a certain place. There is a grotto there at the foot of the, the Mount of Olives, which is commemorates the little church, a little a little chapel in there, which commemorates this particular place where that first bunch of the apostles were left. And then Jesus, we're told in the gospel, took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and began to be grieved and agitated. So Jesus has gone further up the hill, a slight bit further, uh, into the Garden of Gethsemane, the, where the olive trees are, and the ancient olive trees there, still there now. And and he he leaves the three fellows there, and they can see him beginning to grow agitated, you can imagine. But Jesus says to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Then our Lord withdraws, but a stone's throw, we're told. And that it takes us into what is now the Church of All Nations. So you're, you get inside the Church of All Nations and that commemorates, and I think it's probably the real physical spot where Jesus goes and prays on the hard ground. But the three apostles are, are nearby. It's not very far. Peter, James and John. But Jesus has asked them very explicitly, stay here, remain here, stay awake. Not just stay awake, but stay awake with me. So it's amazing how much this means to you, Lord. Their company, their staying awake, their compassion. They're, it's easier to fall asleep. And, uh, and that's kind of almost like, like a, literally like a narcotic. But he wants them to stay awake. Deny yourself, d- deny yourself that comfort of, of, of slipping off into sleep and, and stay awake with me. And then we see our Lord, so we can almost hear it in, the, in his words when he comes back to them and finds them. More than once, he finds them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not stay awake with me one hour? The amazement, astonishment, but more disappointment that our Lord really feels, as we all would feel, you know, that when our, our, a friend of ours lets us down, we, we were hoping for more support, more moral support perhaps, and they let us down. And, and that is, that's very disappointing for us, obviously, but even much more so for Jesus because of his tremendous appreciation and of tremendous value he gives to human friendship and his friendship in a particular way with these men who just the night before he said, I, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. They're friends in a very special way, as we are, as we are. We, we, are, we, we might say, well, here we are praying, and, and Jesus, we do want to be close to you. We would love to be able to say, you are a friend of mine, I'm a friend of yours. But we see that absence, the absence of Peter, James, and John is a source of sadness to Jesus. You think of our Lord and his, the, 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 the value he gives to presence. Jesus present in every tabernacle, in every church and chapel, all throughout the world. He's present there. Why? He's keeping us company. He's staying with us. He's remaining with us. And yet, you know, 
how uh, how little we return the compliment you know all that for for centuries now 20 centuries jesus staying with us in in these tabernacles but how often and it's it's very well known how often jesus is in those tabernacles completely alone and we have to imagine again it's a mystery but we have to imagine in some way that this is actually painful for jesus that abandonment to abandon Jesus somehow needs the company of Peter, James and John. God somehow needs the company of his creatures. We see that explicitly again in in the Garden of Gethsemane because when he is abandoned, God the Father makes sure that the abandonment is not complete. And he sends an angel from heaven to him we're told and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him again an angel is a creature as much as we are no more no less is a creature and yet the angel could come down and strengthen jesus and that's again a remarkable mystery the angel does strengthen jesus and there's a tradition some some writers do say how how does the angel strengthen jesus what does he do what does he say that encourages him I've certainly seen some writers who say, you might have seen this yourself, that they have said what the angel did or showed Jesus was our consolation. The, the closeness of us, his friends, throughout the remaining centuries until the end of time. He shows us, he shows Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you're consoling him now, even in this time of prayer where we're praying at least in part about the, the, the Passion. And, and the angel shows Jesus in his humanity, because, of course, Jesus in his divinity sees all that all the time. That was every moment of our life is present to every moment of the life of Jesus on, on earth, because he is God. But then also, humanly speaking, the angel somehow shows him, you, you know, there in your room, praying and saying, Lord, I, I want to make up, I, I don't want to run away from you, or I'm sorry for the times I do run away. And that is a real strengthening or consolation for jesus so we are very much involved it's not just our lady it's not just peter james and john or the angel it's all of us we are part of that co-passion that compassion we are not spectators it's a very important thing it's very important in lent it's very very important in holy week maybe in a particular way never to consider ourselves spectators you know, the, the, at the ceremonies, for instance, the Good Friday, Holy Thursday ceremonies, Good Friday, the Easter Vigil, the Easter Mass, or any Mass, uh, we're, we're never spectators. And in fact, there can't be. There's no, nobody's a spectator. Because these are not things that, when you go to spectate something, you know, you're not involved. You go to the theater and you're a spectator. And if you get involved, they'll kick you out of the, the theater because you're, you're a nuisance. Uh, if you get involved and you go to the cinema and you get involved, well, the other the ushers will kick you out because you're not supposed to get involved. You're supposed to quietly spectate. But we don't spectate these events of the life of Jesus. We are involved. We're there. We're present to Jesus and Jesus is present to us. Joseph Ratzinger puts it quite nicely, describing the one year, describing the Holy Thursday procession. And I'll read you what he says. This Holy Thursday procession 
must not remain a mere liturgical gesture. It must be a commitment on our part to be continually entering into Jesus' forsakenness, to be continually seeking him, forgotten and derided, wherever he is lonely, to stand by him whenever men do not want to know him. So the exact, exact same thing. I'm backed up by the Pope. Uh, these things are not mere liturgical gestures. If we thought they were, you know, that, that you might say, oh, it's only, it's only a liturgical thing. It's only a gesture. It's only a spectator thing. Well, Saint, or Pope Benedict is saying, no, it's, it's not. And it shouldn't be. None of these things should be. Holy Thursday, he's talking about, but, but a Mass, or, or even being in front of the Blessed Sacrament. We're not a spectator. As we say at the beginning of our time of prayer, that lovely opening prayer, you see, I believe that you see me, that you hear me. So it's, okay, so we're not spectators. We're, you, you, Lord, you'll see me now. You're looking at me. You're listening to me. And not just listening, I go like I, I hear some noise in the background, listening intently to the words of somebody he really loves, whose love and compassion mean everything, in a sense, to Jesus. And then those beautiful words of, 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 of Joseph Ratzinger saying, we have to continually be entering into Jesus' forsakenness. In other words, never leave him alone can enter in there, as Our Lady does, to be always seeking him, forgotten and derided. Well, we see you, Lord, very much in the Passion, forgotten not by everybody, because we have Our Lady and St. John and the Holy Women and others who, who certainly don't, don't abandon you. But there's so few in comparison with even the numbers of people, Lord, that, as St. Rosemary said, that were there Palm Sunday, great crowds of disciples and certainly the apostles, all there, great excitement and everything. But now things have turned bad and, and they, they, they disappear. But not just then, of course, it happens the whole time. When to be, to be a practicing Catholic is no longer very fashionable, well, some people, well, they disappear. We don't see them accompanying Jesus anymore. They don't... Well, they, they think it's not worth it or whatever it is, that their love is not strong enough to keep them there. That is not the case, certainly not the case with Our Lady and St. John, the Holy Women, but neither should it be the case with us. And all the more, all the more, when we see you, Lord, derided, forgotten, going into a church and the tabernacle is there, just standing there, nobody near it, um, nobody praying there, and it doesn't maybe look, and some churches look like, you know, maybe the sacristan opens the, the church in the morning and maybe the, maybe the, the local priest says mass, but that's it. And, and very few people, you know, maybe. So all the more we have to feel the need to rally around Jesus and say, well, look, here, here I am, Lord, at least. You have my company. Uh, Pope Benedict says, wherever he is lonely. And again, that's a, a bit of a mystery because we say, well, Jesus, you're God. How can you be lonely now? I mean, maybe in, in the Garden of Gethsemane or so on, you felt lonely. But again, Ratzinger is saying, no, lonely now. Again, it's a mystery, but in some sense, you know, in that church, 
with nobody there, um, abandoned, um, we, we have to we have to really consider that well in some way, Jesus, you, you are lonely. We want to stand by him whenever men do not want to know him. And there's a I suppose there might be a lot of that, that people repeating what Saint Peter said in the house of Caiaphas, of course we regretted it almost instantly, but I, I do not know this man. And that is repeated again and again, and maybe you or I, that we have done that on, uh, on occasion. Uh, denying, in some sense, hiding our faith, or it becomes a little bit uh, too close for comfort, and, and, and we hide it. I do not know this man. Well, we don't want to do that, Lord. We want to stand by you all the more when people do not want to know you. And we see that, Lord, you need our closeness. You need our closeness. And again, maybe in a particular way, during Holy Week, during the Passion, Holy Thursday, the night of Holy Thursday, with a beautiful tradition in the church, one of the one of the highlights of the, the liturgy of the year when we have the the altar of repose, where we recreate Gethsemane. And after after that mass in the evening, and there's a special a little altar set up perhaps with many candles and lilies around it and we can be there all night praying accompanying jesus well all night might be a bit dramatic but uh, certainly we can spend an hour or so um praying before the altar of repose keeping jesus company in the Garden of Gethsemane, because in some way we are in the Garden of Gethsemane. And even if you just want to think in terms of the angel bringing your presence to Jesus, and Jesus seeing it in his humanity. Our Lady, of course, at the, at the cross, she is called the Mother of Sorrows. And of course, the great sorrow is the cause of the suffering of Jesus is, is voluntary. All of it is voluntary because all of it is from sin and every sin is voluntary. If it's not voluntary, it's not a sin. So every sin is a voluntary thing and voluntarily subjecting you, Jesus, to the passion. And of course, for Our Lady, this, this is something she knows very well, the, something that is so saddening she sees what we could call the horror of sin, that it draws down the passion. Here's a, again a line from St. Josemaria, which I think helps us to understand it. Among the people watching our Lord as he passes by are a number of women who are unable to restrain their compassion and break into tears. So we see these other people, very like Our Lady in that sense, compassion for Jesus moving them to tears and they're, they're in floods of tears we can imagine but our lord wishes to channel their weeping towards a more supernatural motive and he invites them to weep for sins which are the cause of the passion and which will draw down the rigor of divine justice so they're weeping because they see jesus in such a state you can imagine they they could be traumatized by what they see that our lord is disfigured is covered in blood, bruises by the beatings that he's been he's received so far, and, and they know he's he's on his way to Golgotha to be crucified. And so just that, not very supernatural, and very natural, and very understandable. 
and they're overwhmed. But Jesus, as St. Rosemary says, wants them to think more supernaturally, not just to be moved by, the, by their sympathy for him, but actually something more, I suppose, serious or, or significant, which is sorrow for sin. He invites them to weep for sins. So don't weep for me. Weep for, weep for sinners and weep for sin. And so we think of that as well, when we think of Our Lady keeping Jesus' company. It's not just a sorrow for, for the sufferings that he is undergoing, as it were, you know, almost as if it were just an illness or an accident, but this all, every, every tiny little bit of suffering that Jesus undergoes is a consequence of sin. And so Our Lady is trying to make up for sin, drowning evil in an abundance of good and that lovely phrase from saint rosemaria scriva drowning evil in an abundance of her compassion others will run but i'm staying here others sin but i'm staying faithful and so she's trying to undo all that sin and and in some sense we we see well she is a great consolation to jesus and from her compassion her presence there so much good flows into the world she is a co-redeemer her closeness is a big part of the salvation of, of all of us, of mankind. It has been said that God is offended not so much by sin as by the lack of sorrow for sin. Uh, so various writers and various saints say that. You know, the one thing is for us to sin. And, and of course, that's not right and, and it's a terrible mistake and so on. But... Something that is worse is our lack of sorrow, our lack of sorrow for sin. So let us ask Our Lady, Mother of Sorrows, to keep Jesus company in these days of Lent, but also to be very supernatural, that it would not just be, you could say, an emotional sympathy, but there, there is something more supernatural. I'm weeping for my sins and the sins of others, and through this compassion, I'm trying to make up for that, and I am making up for it. And, and maybe to a great, a great deal. We also then become co-redeemers along with Our Lady and, and St. John. So just as you, Mary, teach John how to live the compassion, the, the passion with his compassion, teach me also how to live the passion with my compassion. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.